This episode of Holly Randall Unfiltered is brought to you by Balesa.co, the premier destination in porn for women. Balesa brings you the hottest free porn videos that prioritize female pleasure. Just as steamy, they have some of the best erotic fiction on the web. And now, finally, sex toys! Balesa just launched their signature line of sex toys, as well as a curated selection of the best, most exclusive sex toys available online. Use the code HOLLY15 at checkout to get 15% off your order today. Amazing vibrators and totally simple to use, the Balesa line is perfect for both first-timers and pros. Vibrators, couples toys, butt plugs, you name it. Visit balesa.co slash store and use code HOLLY15 at checkout to get 15% off your new toy today. That's B-E-L-L-E-S-A dot C-O slash store with coupon code HOLLY15 for 15% off. Everybody, I am so fucking excited because I am relaunching my website, hollyrandall.com. I have finally taken it back after five years of having another company run it, and it is now 100% under my control, and I couldn't be more excited. So please support me and go and join my new website. That's hollyrandall.com. And I will love you forever. And if you don't want to join my website, but you want to support this podcast, you can always go to patreon.com slash hollyrandallunfiltered. And I will take your money there as well. And I will love it just as much. So thank you guys so much for your support. And support me at hollyrandall.com. Today on the show, we have August McLaughlin. She is a podcaster. She runs the very successful podcast, Girl Boner. She also has a new book out by the same name. She is a sex positive advocate. She talks a lot about human sexuality, um, positive female sexuality, all that kind of stuff. She's a great role model for women in the industry, and I'm so excited to have her here. So let's welcome August on Holly Randall Unfiltered. Hello, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to the show. Today, I have the incredible August McLaughlin in the studio today. Hi. Hi, Holly. How are you? Oh, I'm so excited. It's so cool to have you on my show because I've been on your show twice. Yes. So, oh, it's so much fun chatting with you. I know. Yeah. I really am. I have to admit that I'm a little bit intimidated because you are a very um, well renowned and experienced podcaster, podcasteur. What do we call sure. it? Sure. I like podcasteur. Sounds fancy. Let's right? Do that. It does. Yeah. It's like the little like EU and yeah. um, R at the end, make it all fancy. And author and um, advocate for you know positive sexuality. Um, you, you really focus, your writing really focuses on human sexuality, right? Very much so. Yeah. Embracing our authentic sexuality, breaking stigmas a lot, which I feel you do in all of your work too. And it's so funny that you said that you were a little intimidated because I never told you this, but the first time you came in, I was like pretty nervous. Really? I'm like, you, you seem so fancy to me, which is such a silly <laughs> word to say. That's hilarious. But I just, I, I respect you so much. Oh, and I just felt like... <laughs> I just felt like, you know, I'm like this Minnesota girl who just like, you know, brings in easels to things. Like, I just felt kind of like, uh, and I was like, I want, and you know what I did during that episode? What? Which is so funny. 
<laughs> so I had a clip from this documentary that I think featured you, uh-huh. and I wanted to play just a little teaser. Uh-huh. And I somehow the link on YouTube got switched, and so when my sound tech hit play, mm-hmm. it was actually. It was a porn scene. <laughs> and luckily it was you because you would have been fine with that anyway. But I was trying to be like on top of things. And all of a sudden it was like, uh, and I was like scrambling. And you d- you just rolled right through. It was it was so funny. Yeah, it was one of my like funniest girl boner moments. That's great. You know what? Actually, that, um, that kind of a random uh, moaning comes up for me sometimes too because – on my um, iTunes, I you know, this is actually before like Spotify and Pandora came out, which is what I use all the time. Yeah. But so my iTunes, you know, I would always use, uh, I would always obviously download music on there, and then I would kind of do a playlist mix when I was shooting, so that like you know the girls would have some music that was playing that was kind of sexy that they could strip to or model to. But then sometimes when I would import. Um, audio from scenes, mm-hmm. it would import into my iTunes for some weird reason, as opposed to like importing like to the folder that I was trying to download it to. Yeah. So there were so sometimes like you would be and then I also I had other things too. I would have like AA speaker tapes on there. Oh so sometimes gosh. like there'd be like Britney Spears playing like work it bitch and then it would be like and now welcome um you know Bob, and then hi, I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Bob, and like everyone's clapping. I'm like next, like mid strip scene. Yeah, and then the next one is like, huh, oh yeah, baby. I'm like next, and then it's like, uh, then it's like Kenny Loggins, <laughs> Footloose. And I'm like next. When did I put that on my iTunes? It was yep. like I always would say that the most like the most um, open that I can be to somebody is to like allow them to play shuffle on my iTunes. <laughs> it's oh, just like really so many like random things in there and some things that I'm very embarrassed about. That's so funny. It's really good that we don't have dual lives as like our podcast oh and like kindergarten teaching or right. something. Can you imagine? Yes. We would be fired and I know. Who knows what else. I was talking to, I was on set um, the other day and I was talking to the, the crew. Um, we were actually shooting uh, for Joanna Angel, her, one of her movies. She's awesome. Yeah, she is great. And, um, we were all just like, what? Because we was we shot till three a.m. Right, so it was a very long day, and I wow. yeah, I was I had an early call time the next day, so I was I was a little exhausted, but and all of us were. But then we were like, you know what? At least we don't work in a cubicle. Like, kind of yeah. thank God, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yes, we have these long fifteen-hour days, mm-hmm. and sometimes we're on set till three in the morning, mm-hmm. and sometimes we're so fucking tired. Yeah. But like, you know, we're we're really lucky. The payoff is amazing. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah I agree. So how tell me a little bit about your story because I know that you you were a model and you struggled with an eating disorder and then you and that kind of fueled I think your new path, right? Very much so. Yeah, I was living in Paris at the time when I was diagnosed and it was just a couple of years after high school. Mm-hmm. And of course, the nature of eating disorders, you don't know you have one. Right. You know, you might if there's certain kind of behaviors, but because we have this idea that to have an eating disorder, you either don't eat at all mm-hmm. or you vomit everything you eat. Like we have mm-hmm. these really black and white ideas of it. And right. so I was like, well, I eat. And my distortion in my mind of what I looked like made it really hard for me to realize that I was sick. Mm-hmm. But I knew something was wrong. You know, I was mm-hmm. really struggling emotionally. And I went for a run one morning near the river by the Eiffel Tower. And it was like so beautiful out. The sunrise was like pink. It was so like Paris perfect. Mm-hmm. And I felt so gross and dirty and icky and... I was really melancholy. I'd been writing in my journal about this cancer in my soul is what I called it. Wow. Because it was so dark. And I collapsed, which had happened before. Mm -hmm. But this particular time was quite different. I I don't know how long I was there. I 
I woke up and in sort of that half awake state, mm-hmm. noticed um, blood and dirt in my mouth. I think I like bit my tongue, mm-hmm. you know, when I, when I fell. And my face was, you know, in the grass and in the dirt. And my first thought before I was aware of things like, am I okay? Am I, am I dying? All these other thoughts that certainly came. I was actually worried that the dirt had calories. Yeah. Like that's how... Oh my God. How scary it was. And so I was really lucky because I got so sick fairly quickly Mm -hmm. that I I hit kind of a bottom because, you know, sometimes there are multiple bottoms. I hit others. You hit your bottom when you start stop digging. That's so very well said. It's so true. It's so true. So I, I was forced to either kind of surrender to this darkness, which would have literally ended my life, or. Mm try to get better and I didn't know what for mm-hmm. but for some reason I couldn't get up give up even when I was trying mm-hmm. I had a conversation with myself like just could you just let go and I couldn't mm-hmm. and it sounds really cheesy but at that time I just felt that sort of like there's this like light or something that's making me go there must be something more for me mm-hmm. and I think it's a girl boner like that to me it led me to realizing I had shame around my sexuality, mm-hmm. which helped me heal, which led to my work. Wow. You know, I relate to that so much because, you know, I've like had my struggles with alcoholism for years. And when you said that cancer in your soul and you said that it was kind of cheap, I remember thinking the same thing because I remember thinking like every time that I would like kill, you know, poison myself with alcohol and I'd be like dry heaving on the toilet for like 10 hours or something, I would feel like there was this black cancer that was traveling up my spine and I could I could mm. like feel it moving like through my body. Oh. That's exactly how I pictured yeah. it the same way. Yeah. And same thing like when I felt in that really like, even when I was in that really hopeless place, you know, before I got sober and I felt like really, really sick and I was having suicidal thoughts, there was a part of me that knew that this wasn't the life I was meant to lead. You know, there was still that part of me I was like, this is not my destiny. Like I know, like I feel, I know I feel hopeless now and I feel that there's nothing else in my life, but I just, I don't know. There's still a part of me that's like, no, 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 this is not. Like, there's something Mm. else. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of parallels between any kind of addiction and eating disorders because they are addictive illnesses, Mm -hmm. I guess. You know, you get, I had my compulsions. Yes. Which was funny because I had all these roommates in New York and who are models too. And I felt like, well, I felt really intimidated by them because I Mm. thought they were so kind of cool and together and I didn't know how to dress myself. I was really dorky and always reading and I was just scared of all the things that they were doing, like Mm -hmm. drugs and partying and stuff like that. But at the same time, I thought, well, they're the ones with like the quote problems, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm fine. I eat vegetables. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm healthy, (laughs) but I was struggling just as much as they were. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how did you... Okay, so you you came out of that, you kind of hit that bottom, and then where did you go from there? It was quite a journey, but what ended up happening was I went to Minnesota, where I grew up, and mm-hmm. I was in a lot of different conventional treatments. You know, you you get weighed a lot, which doesn't really help. You know, yeah. it's like they take the eating disorder and perpetuate it in yeah. a different way. Right? Not all programs do, but unfortunately, right. that's common. And some things were helping. It was nice to be able to talk to somebody in therapy to just kind of like spill things out. Mm-hmm. I loved that, but I wasn't ready to heal mm-hmm. until I sat in a college classroom. I was taking the class because I was bored and had basically treatment, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And one day the teacher said, we're going to talk about sex today. And it changed my life because I realized in that moment that I hadn't talked about sex. I'd had sex, Mm -hmm. I'd had pleasurable sex, I considered myself into it, but I hadn't ever 
really delved into it. Mm -hmm. And without even realizing that that was the turning point, everything started to change. I started to appreciate my body in a different way. Interesting. It was so powerful. Wow. So, okay, so from there, you... Now, did you start writing? When when did you come out with your? When did you actually like become a writer? Like, when did you start publishing articles? Like, really, did you know that that was your path? That still took a little while. So from there, I went to Miami and I was modeling, but more commercial stuff to get mm-hmm. into acting, mm-hmm. studying acting. And I thought that acting was the thing. Mm-hmm. Like when I discovered that, I thought, oh, this is this is why this is why I'm still here. And I loved it, and it was very therapeutic. But interestingly. I loved the writing parts of it, the character creation mm-hmm. and the artistic. I loved performing too, but acting was very hard for me. Right. And I worked really hard at it. And I'd moved to LA, and this was probably 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was in an acting class, and we had to get up and tell the story from our lives. And I had stopped talking about the eating disorder because I was like, I'm done with that. Like, that's totally not part of me. I'm an actress. This is my life now. Right. <laughs> and of course, those wounds come up. And right. I told the story, and I realized shortly after, oh, like, it's the storytelling that I love. Somebody came up to me actually after that class who I really respected and said, you're a good storyteller. And I just was in shock. I was like, am I? Like, Wait, what what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Do I actually love that more? And it turned out that I do and I haven't turned back. Wow. Yeah. And then did that kind of make you realize that you had a story to tell or did that come later? Um I knew that I needed to kind of brain vomit out my memoir, which I did. <laughs> brain vomit. I love that. I love that. <laughs> totally, you know, just bleh. Um which I did first without any intention of publishing that because mm-hmm. it didn't feel like a necessary thing to publish at the time. It felt like um, there are many other eating disorder books out there and memoirs, and there are some really good ones. And instinctively, I was like, this isn't my story. Like, this isn't the whole thing yet. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't fully grasped how powerful the sexuality piece was yet. I was, Mm -hmm. like, still learning because that's a whole process. Right. And so I... After getting that memoir out of me, uh, like maybe one person read it, and I was pitching articles to publications. I had Mm -hmm. a nutrition background from my own studies and and healing process, so I was uh, pitching columns. I started to do just you know freelance stuff, and I decided to turn my story into a psychological thriller, which was my first book called In Her Shadow. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. So now that is kind of based on your life. It's based on my eating disorder experience for okay. sure. Yeah, but very loosely. Right. So it's a fictionalized yeah. story. Very much so. Very okay. much so. Like you'd have to know me really well to to pick up things. And actually my brother when he read it, he picked up more things than I did. Oh, he was like, "Oh, you let our grandfather who was the good one live." And I was like, "Oh, I did." Like <laughs> and I'm like crying because I thought, "Oh, this really it, it's all there. Yeah. Our stories come out." And then how how did that feel for you to publish that book? Oh, it was so exhilarating. I I had never experienced anything quite like that, the process of, I don't know if it's similar to when you're creating other kinds of artworks and, you know, photography and stuff like that, but that first time is really unique. I think, honestly, it's so different. Now, I am, my father's a writer, and that was actually something that I toyed with becoming when I was younger. Like, I I thought I might be a writer or I might be a photographer. Like, those were the Mm. two things that I loved. And actually, when I was before I got into what I got into, I was like, I want to be like a travel photographer and journalist, which actually would have been 
fucking perfect for me. But that <laughs> another lifetime. Yeah. Anyways, um, so and with I don't know. So I used to write a lot, right? And I actually used to write a column for XBiz. Um, and actually, I it's funny. So the first when I got that job writing my column for XBiz was right when I checked into rehab the first time. And oh, wow. so I was like, oh shit, what do I do? And then like this blogger like um, basically spilled the beans that I was in rehab because I was trying to keep it a secret. Mm. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to write my first article about for XBiz about my alcoholism and then the fact that I'm in rehab. I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to do it. Like everybody knows anyways. And I put that out and I could not believe the overwhelming amount of support that I got mm. and all the people in the industry that I had no idea they were sober, uh. that were sober, that reached out to me like, I totally get it. I understand. Like, So that was like, oh my God, this... It made me realize how incredibly powerful writing can be yeah. and how it can really connect people. So I did that for a while, but I also find it like it's incredibly exhausting yeah. because the thing about photography and why I why I love what I do and why I think it's easier for me than writing is it's, it's a collaboration between a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. It's me, it's the model, it's you know um, the lighting, it's the makeup artist, it's you know maybe the stylist, maybe the art director, whoever is involved. So it's it's a lot of people coming together to create something. But writing, it's just yeah. you <laughs> and the pen and the paper, and that's intimidating. Yeah. Mm. And since I've kind of fallen out of practice, it's intimidating for me to get back into it. Like I kind of want to, but I find like I don't know. I feel like I forgot how to do it, or mm. I'm scared to be stupid. Like it's weird. I can't find. The, my way back in. Uh, it's so interesting because you've had so much success and continue to in your work that I imagine your standard for yourself is high, even yes. though it's another medium, right? Yes, it's like, totally. And I think with maturity too, we're like, we only have so much time. Mm-hmm. Do we want to invest time into something that we're not kind of quote, good at now mm-hmm. or yet or right. something? It's, it's hard, but uh, it's interesting. Writing, I feel like when you have that in you, the starting is sometimes the hard part, but once you get started, then it it's not so. I mean, it is hard and it is work. The starting is definitely the hardest part yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just getting the story beginning. Yeah. Do you have like a writing process? Because I, like I said, my father's a writer. I know mm-hmm. that he is very regimented. Like he sets aside a certain amount of time every morning to write, and mm-hmm. almost every writer that I've spoken to is usually that way. Do you have to discipline yourself in that way? Um, that's a good question. I. I have found that once I once I committed to writing, I actually kind of went the opposite, and this is not a good thing, <laughs> where I couldn't not write. Mm-hmm. Like I had this idea that if I wrote as much as possible, quantity-wise, that that would be the best thing for me. Right. And the more I did that, the writing would suffer because I was writing at times of day when I'm not really sharp and mm-hmm. I'd have to redo it. And so I have a compulsive personality and I think this is part of the addiction thing. Right. Um, I just I have an addictive personality. And so I did thankfully realize that was happening. And one thing that helps me a lot is I don't write just one thing. Mm-hmm. So Everyone's different. Some people want to have one job that's not related to writing, and then they have their time where they sit down and they work on their novel or whatever. Mm-hmm. I only want to write. I don't want to be doing these. I mean, I have my podcast too, mm-hmm. which I love, but I don't want to have um, kind of a backup plan or another career going on or anything. So I write for publications. I have my blog. I do some content writing for some health uh, companies, and then I have the novel, and then I'm writing nonfiction, which is more my focus now. Mm-hmm. But uh, so. What I find works the best is making sure that I call it the golden hour, which I got from photography. Right. <laughs> when your brain is working the best, I try right. to dedicate the thing I care about most. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. 
Um, so how did Girl Boner come about? Because now it's a podcast. Mm-hmm. Did it start as a podcast or did it start as a blog and then went to a podcast? Yeah, it started as one blog post. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew I wanted to do something with the term because it had been an inside joke for me forever. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid in sex ed, in that awkward class, and mm-hmm. you learn nothing positive. Or I learned a little bit. Like I knew that male pleasure was a thing. Mm-hmm. That was enough to be in a Minnesota, you know, yeah. way. They kind of like, well, this is pleasurable. Uh, but I only learned really negative things for for women and for girls. And so I immediately wondered, what about girl boners? As soon as I know, knew the term boner, I was mm-hmm. like, hey, what about ours? Like, yeah. that doesn't make sense to me. Right. And so it was a passion of mine and a curiosity. And of course, you learn through experience, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And I did. But it wasn't until years later, you know, doing all this healing and I just realized that, for me, writing has always felt like activism, even when it's fiction. I think stories can change the world. I think art changes the world. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was a natural thing. I'd already written a thriller and had a blog following for nutrition articles and talking about my dog and thrillers. (laughs) And then I was like, wow, here come boners. And I I put the blog post up. I talked about my sex ed class, and it changed everything for me. I I knew it was a direction I was going. Mm -hmm. I didn't know where it would go. And about a year later, uh, the podcast came about, and it's taken about between five and six years for the books. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, what was your first podcast episode? That also is my sex ed story. So I kind of okay. start everything with that as a okay. gateway. Right. Because I find that we all, no matter what our experience has been, and no matter how much shame we might have around our sexuality, we can all connect to what we did or didn't learn mm-hmm. you know, growing yes. up. So I often even start interviews with that. Like, what did you learn? What was the first negative thing? What was the first positive thing? Mm-hmm. That is something that people feel comfortable tapping into and kind of mm. laughing about. Right. And then it's kind of the entry point. So I shared that story also on my mm. podcast, the first episode, and it also was very early in my Girl Blunder book. So mm. I find that when I share a story, just as when you shared about your own addiction mm-hmm. and a process, you probably heard from so many people yes. who want to share their own. Yes. And I think that's where the healing comes. Yeah. I think it's been, um, it's been really important, I think. And I, I really like that people are talking more about um, and depression and addiction and disorders openly. And yeah. like, I feel like we're really trying to erase the stigma around it. I mean, just looking at the people that have committed suicide over the last year, I mean, celebrities yes. and also, you know, people that like I know and um, people in our industry. And it's just, um, it's really prevalent. And I think that, you know, people so, especially like with social media, you know, people, they, we always want to show our best side of ourselves. Like, my life is so perfect. Look at this. And, you know, there is an element of that too. But I think, I don't know, I, I feel like it's important to discuss the hard things too. And, you know, I've been going through like depression lately and I've been tweeting about it. You know, I've been like, hey, I feel really shitty today. Like, I feel really shitty. I feel hopeless. But I know this, like, feelings aren't facts. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to go to my therapist. Like, I'm going to like try to take care of this. And people have been like amazing. Mm. Like the silver lining, honestly, and in, in all of this stupid shit that I'm going through right now is like the support that I've gotten from like my friends and my family and even fans and people online and, you know, other performers being like, Hey, I deal with depression too. I deal with addiction mm. too. Like, and I'm just like, wow, we really are so connected if we could just all talk about it. Yes, that's you know? so beautiful. That vulnerable place is yes. really where we connect. Yes. And I actually saw your tweet that said feelings aren't facts. And it found me at a day where I was dealing with a lot of anxiety about something. Mm-hmm. And it was so incredible how just seeing that was 
what I needed in that moment. And it was like, oh, oh, you know, just to, to know that, oh yeah, that, that reminder that you might be feeling all these negative things mm-hmm. that, that isn't a statement about you or right. your life or what's yeah. going to happen right. and allowing our feelings. Like we don't have to be happy all the time. Yes. I think that that's one of them, like the biggest growing pains that I've had because I hate sitting with uncomfortable feelings. And that's why, you know, I would use drugs and alcohol because it's like, I don't feel good. I want to feel good. I want to feel good all the time. I don't want to sit through this pain. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to face it. I don't want to cry. I don't want to embrace it. But then you never move past it. You just keep shoving it further and further down. And then it just ends up coming out in other sick ways or you end up like exploding. And so um, I've really been working on trying to be more vulnerable and be, um, you know, more honest about where I am. And I feel like that's, that's been helping because otherwise, you know, I'm just really good at shutting people out and just like kind of retreating into my own space and then just being incredibly unhappy. It's incredible what happens when we do let ourselves feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my therapists, I've had many therapists. <laughs> Me too. Uh, <laughs> soul sisters in that way. Yeah. Um, she said to me, because she works predominantly with people who are going through substance abuse or addiction mm-hmm. or all these different kinds of things. And she said everything that she says to these uh, clients of hers apply to, to me as well, it right. seems, because it's a similar mindset right. and, and personality. And and she said to me one day, you know, there are people all over the world. She calls them normies. I guess that's some, I don't know if that's something that yes. they use. In, yes, in that. we do. Okay. We do. So for people who don't have an addictive right. personality, and normies, it, right? And and which is not to be negative in either direction. Yeah. I actually love the term because when I heard it, she said there are people all over the world, these normies who feel their feelings and they move on. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought, oh, and I could think of people in my life, yeah. who do that. Yes, and it's amazing. Yes. they get so mad and they just. Yeah. And then they're fine. Yeah. Yeah. So you just gotta you just <laughs> yeah. gotta cry. Yeah, yeah. You just yeah. gotta let it out. Yeah. And yeah. let yourself and don't shame yourself right. for it. And right. that has been a process for me is yeah. going like, I don't have to have a timeline for this. You don't mm-hmm. have to feel a certain way right now or heal quickly. Yeah. There is no time frame for that. Right. That's yeah, and that's what I'm trying to like deal with now because I woke up like, you know. A couple of days this week, I woke up feeling super depressed, and then I woke up and I felt good again. I'm like, great, I'm getting out of it. And then I woke up the next day and I felt like shit. Again. I'm like, god damn it! But I'm like, yeah. you know what? I got to just you just have to give yourself time. Yeah, and good will come again. Yeah, no matter what you're going through, there's going to be another sunrise in your life, and that's 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 the thing that it's like, oh, it's so hard for me to remember. I know because you're like, it's feeling it right now. Yes. So can we keep this? Yes. Like, can I just photograph this and live in this one yes. because this one feels so good. Yes. Yeah. Did you find um did you find that like when you were looking at your disorder um did you find that there was one particular thing behind it that was maybe driving it like for me like I've been exploring a lot of that and I've been doing like EMDR with my therapist which has been bringing up some weird shit let me wow. tell you um but I found that like it's so much for me it's about control mm. like controlling my emotions right I'm trying to control my feelings by like taking drugs or alcohol to make me feel better um, and then I'm like losing control because I'm trying to control my drinking, but I can't. And then I lose control. And then that makes me feel bad. And then I'm trying to control how I feel the next morning by maybe drinking again or whatever, you know, like, yeah. and I don't know. Do you find that that's, you think that that's maybe? Yeah, I think that plays a big role. I think control is such a theme in, mm-hmm. in eating disorders and addiction for sure. I actually, and this took forever, ever, ever to realize, but I have ADHD and I did not know that for a very long time and I was diagnosed with different things and it was one of those 
trying to figure out what's wrong with you for the longest right. time. And I think that if that had been, you know, noticed early, mm-hmm. it would have helped a lot because to bring it to the control piece, once I was adolescent going through puberty, all my hormones were shifting around. I went from incredibly hyperactive, like bouncing off the walls hyper, mm-hmm. to like glue in my head. And I couldn't pay attention to, I couldn't control where I could put my attention is what mm. was happening. It's, it's about regulating your attention. But I thought I was just completely stupid. You know, mm. I, it's so frustrating to sit in a class and not be able to lock on to a sentence. Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't read sitting still. I couldn't, like there were all these strange things. And I thought I'd been tested as gifted a couple of years before that. And so I thought that they made a mistake and that mm. someday somebody's going to figure out that I'm a fraud and I'm actually really, really stupid. Oh God. And so that had, a, you know, there was a lot of shame there. Of course. And I didn't realize I was doing this, but once somebody told me, cause I was very involved in theater and somebody told me, you know, you could be modeling. Um, and people started to comment on that which I had very distorted body image, partly because of the way my mind was working at the time or not working at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I started to get into that world, it was so empowering for me in many ways. I loved being in front of the cameras. I could like disconnect from, mm-hmm. I could hyper-focus on it. So mm, where I could put my intention, I could where I couldn't sit still anywhere else, I could stand still in, you know, on a set forever. Wow. And I just found this place but on top of that, somebody had told me, a photographer from L.A. flew into Minneapolis, and he said, if you lost a few pounds, you know, you could be modeling in Paris. So that just set me onto this, Uh-oh. like, you know. Yeah. And so starving myself, I was it kind of did something to my brain to mm-hmm. kind of, I felt like maybe I can control this. Mm-hmm. I have one thing I'm good at. It yes. happens to be weight loss. Yes. You know, okay, and, that and makes modeling. so much sense, though. Yeah. 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 Wow. Now, back to the sexuality part. Um, did you... Like how, what kind of, were you, did you grow up in a conservative family? Like was sex not talked about when you were a kid or were you pretty, was it pretty open? Like how was that for you growing up? I have a really open, loving family, mm-hmm. um, liberal Christians, I okay. would say, which some people don't know they exist, but I've got a lot of those in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my grandfather on my mom's side was a, a pretty renowned pastor. He was very conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, he and my grandmother were missionaries in India. Mm-hmm. And then my dad's side um, is Catholic. Mm-hmm. So I definitely grew up with, because my parents didn't learn anything either, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was an unspoken thing. You okay. never talk about it. And right. so if you did ask a question, you get kind of like, you know, that's bad, not, yeah. not good. Yeah. So they weren't like, actively like you know sex is bad and like very but they it was just something that wasn't really talked about yeah exactly it was the omission that sends a message you mm-hmm. know i i think and then you hear all these weird myths around you you know i heard my family didn't really say say much or anything about it and then i would hear p- people saying things about you know boys well masturbation is a sin but boys can't help it mm-hmm. like that was one of the things i learned you know you pick mm-hmm. up all these things and it just it feels so icky and you don't know why right and it took me a long time to realize, yeah, not cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell us about your book, Girl Boner. Yeah. So Girl Boner, The Good Girl's Guide to Sexual Empowerment, it's um, a blend of personal narrative. I share some of my own stories. I highlight other people's voices. I interviewed a ton of people and experts. And it's sort of a how-to companion guide for your own sexual empowerment journey. Mm-hmm. Are there any particular stories in there like that you want to kind of... 
Mm. Little anecdotes you want to tell us about? Sure. So I, well, I have the sex ed story, and then from my own life, there's the orgasm that changed my life, which was the first time I masturbated at age thirty. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was. Man, I started masturbating like really early. Yeah. But- that's awesome, though. I mean, I think that that's a really healthy thing, uh-huh. and I think, yeah, I didn't realize I'm somewhat of an anomaly. I've only met maybe two other people who are like, yeah, same here. Yeah, I know. Um, actually, there's a I know a porn star, um, Nicole Aniston. You know who she is? Mm-hmm. She never had an orgasm until she came into porn. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so she was like in her early 20s, which is not 30, but still. Like, yeah. Yeah, and she found her sexuality. And there's so many mm-hmm. girls that I've talked to. Asa Kira said the same thing. Found their sexuality in porn, like mm-hmm. discovered who they were. Sexually in a safe environment is what they always talk about. They're like, you know, I had this great safe environment um, where I could explore my sexuality, and I knew that, you know, if I wanted to say no or I went too far, I could. That's beautiful. So I thought that was, I'd never thought about porn in that way that it could be that experience for people. Cause, you know, of course, we always hear all the negatives and stuff like that. But I really mm-hmm. loved that because I was like, look at, you know, look how porn can actually be like a positive sexual growing experience for someone. It's so true. And yeah. it, m- my favorite interviews, many of them are with adult stars or people mm-hmm. who've worked in that industry. And it's it's amazing to me. I I see the appeal because I think that would be a really, again, it's kind of the performative thing with, mm-hmm. with modeling, how I could step out and you kind of can be someone you're not mm-hmm. and try something on. And, right. and that's really cool. Um, yeah. And I loved, I do have a section in the book on porn and I have uh, a, an insert called Duke Good Girls Do Porn, where I mm-hmm. feature some of the stars that I've interviewed. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's a really important piece because there is this idea that if you're a, quote, good girl, you shouldn't really in- be too sexual mm-hmm. and you should be sexual in certain ways. And certainly you wouldn't either watch or be in porn. Right, right, and right. I wanted to debunk that. So right. there's a lot of myth busting in the book. Yeah. What, what were some of your favorite adult stars that you interviewed? Oh, gosh, there's so many. Um, well, I just interviewed Ginger Banks recently. Okay. And so she's a cam girl and very outspoken uh, in her activism for sex mm-hmm. workers, yes. which I love. Mia Isabella was one of my first guests and uh, one of the first, I think, transsexual voices of a video game character as well. Oh, wow. I believe. And uh, Venus Lux, mm-hmm. she's in the book. Um, Belle Knox was the first... Uh, adult star I interviewed, mm-hmm. and that was right at the time when you know Duke, she was a student at Duke University. Right. And she was just she was outed basically, right. and then completely harassed yes. for trying to pay for her education right. through doing this. So right. yeah, yeah, that's, that's a real shame. Yeah, what do you think is like? So if you could give, you know, we I see a lot of change in the way that you know we're looking at sexuality these days, especially with women. What do you think is like? What is the one piece of advice, that, or what is the one thing that you wish that the new generation of girls could like learn about their sexuality or that would change for them? Mm, that's such a good question. I would love for our education to be pleasure-based. That mm. would be amazing. Um, but the thing I'd want them all to know is that there's nothing wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Every question I get from a listener or a reader that's kind of at the heart of it is there's this weird thing about me. Why, mm-hmm. why am I such an alien? You know, mm-hmm. and, and just to know that whatever you're going through, first of all, you're not the only one. Right. And uh, the thing you feel shame about is probably awesome. And also it's not you that is shameful. It's the messaging. Right, right. Yeah. Um, now you also, uh, I know that you have like some sex toys that you like read for and stuff like that. What are your, because mm-hmm. I'm actually, it's funny, I don't really, 
ever use sex toys that often. I'm actually more into like bondage care and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's something that I'm kind of interested in getting into. So like what are, I don't know, what are some of your favorite like products or what are some of your favorite things that you've tried? Because mm. I, I feel like you've, like I've seen you get a lot of like um, products and stuff like that. Yeah. You're always trying out new stuff. And Totally. I love toys and I love that you're into bondage because that's one that I don't know much about. So okay. maybe you can share. But um, <laughs> I... I still, personally, I love dildos. Okay. And I feel like vibrators get all of the credit. <laughs> so, like, I stand up for dildos. Um, they're, I, like, they're like the silent, the silent one. Yeah, yeah. yeah the I, quiet well, one. Exactly. I like the internal stimulation. Okay, oh, really? Okay, yeah. that's interesting. Because a lot of girls aren't like that. Right. A lot of girls are Most more clip-based. Exactly. And, but, and something like, I mean, a huge majority mm-hmm. um, prefer the external kind of clit toys if they're mm-hmm. into toys. And like the Womanizer, mm-hmm. which is a really fun one with a horrible name. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that is a terrible name. Yeah, they, they really got to change that. Um, but that is for external mm-hmm. clitoral pleasure. And it's really exciting. But for me, it's so weird because mm-hmm. it's like... I really am missing my main thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can use it with a dildo, so mm-hmm. that's cool. Um, but people always tell me they love the the magic wand and you know, yeah. everything is the differences in people's preferences is pretty interesting. I gotta say the magic wand scares me and kind of vibrators in general, because I, I hear that it it can desensitize you after a mm. while if you go too strong with it. So like I'm always freaked out about that. Yeah, yeah, which is an interesting point. And I think, you know, if you're using the same toy over and over mm. again and that or if that's the only way that you experience your sexuality mm-hmm. and orgasm, then n- you can't really replicate that in mm-hmm. a, you know, if that's what yeah. you want. that in- And th- that's the thing with vibrators that's so, it's so intense for me that I, f- I miss the, the build that like mm. you get your whole body arousal. I agree with you. Yeah, it's almost like it's too fast. Like for yeah. me, like the best masturbation session is one, like there have been times that I've masturbated for like an hour like it's like the not often because I don't have a lot of time, but yeah. like those I love that like and like the edging mm-hmm. and like coming close and then like going de- that down. That is crazy. And, like, yeah, and I feel like I can't do that with a vibrator. Yeah, you can't unless you get one with lots of different like, speeds and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, but even if you do, I feel like the low ones are yeah. pretty intense. They yeah. don't have. I wish they had more whisper ones that are like really gradual. Mm-hmm. I will say though that. Vibrators, I finally did start to have some affection more so for myself with mm-hmm. them because now I have this, um, I think it's Vibratex, it's a rabbit style toy. Mm-hmm. And even though I feel a little funny whenever there's like animals, I don't know, that feels yeah. funny to me. Like, do I have to put an animal on my mm-hmm. vulva? Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if the animal wanted to go there, but anyhow, um, the what's beautiful about it is I don't, you know, it's, Sometimes, often, when we go to get ourselves off, we are already turned on, mm-hmm. right? Right. If I'm not turned on, but I just want to get rid of a headache, mm-hmm. then the vibrator is, like, amazing. Okay, yeah, you know, that's a good point, because there's definitely times where, like, sometimes I'm, like, I am turned on and I want to do it, and then sometimes I'm, like, well, I think if I do, then I'll take a, like, I'll nap better, it'll help yeah. me sleep, or, like, mm-hmm. I'm really, str- you know, it's almost like I should do this, because, like, mm-hmm. I feel like it'll help, rather is it, like, almost... Rather than I want to, right? It's always kind of it's funny. like the desire for the desire. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a purpose for that, and for people who are feeling very kind of in a, a place where because our, our our desire goes up and down throughout mm-hmm. our lives, everybody's does. Mm-hmm. So if you're going through a time where you just feel disconnected in some mm-hmm. way, or you want it, you want to desire it, but you haven't been, mm-hmm. then I think those toys can be awesome as long as you aren't doing like the exact same thing every time. You go through periods where like you just don't masturbate for a while because I. Totally do. I'll go yeah. through like it'll, like sometimes it'll be months. Yeah, I do that too. Like I go, 
it seems like it's never just kind of every so often. It's mm-hmm. always either a lot yeah. <laughs> or, or not. Maybe it's because we're like the addictive personality. Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know. But yeah, I totally relate to that. Especially when you get so busy or yes. um, you're going like going through a tough time mm-hmm. in your personal life yeah. or whatever. And I have friends who when they're stressed out, they masturbate more. Mm. I actually have to go, oh, that would help me. And yes, then I I'm the there. same. Yeah, because yeah, that, that's the last thing I'm thinking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to actually talk about my favorite toy that I've come across and it's so funny because they (laughs) I talk about them all the time they do not sponsor me I do not get paid for it Um, but I just I love it and um, so have you heard of the perfect fit no okay so they have this strap on uh, the strap on dildo which I originally they actually sent it to me um, for free which was awesome and I originally got it because for a scene because like girls like hate strap on dildo scenes because strap ons are almost always super uncomfortable like the leather straps that like you tie around are awkward and they like don't fit right or like yeah. squishy make you look fat and then like the toy's like hard or uncomfortable or it's not like secure so it doesn't really you know so it's like every time I have to do like a lesbian strap on scene I'm just like and the girls are always like really like they're never excited about it and it's always like uncomfortable and like so anyways so I use this one, and I use it in a scene that I shot for Digital Playground with um, Aria Alexander and Alexis Fox, and the, it was amazing. Like they were so happy; they were like, "This is the best strap on we've ever used." I'm like, "Oh my god, this is great!" So the way that it, it's so it's got like a jock strap top, which is great because a lot of them, like I said, are like leather straps, which is super uncomfortable. So it's very stretchy, and um, you can actually adjust it. It's got like buttons on the side, so you can adjust it depending on the on your hip. And this is, and the dildo itself is really soft and like pliable, very comfortable. But here's where it's great for someone like me who doesn't have sex with girls. Um, it's got a hole underneath the um, the dildo part, so a guy can wear it and he can put his penis through the bottom part, and then you can do double penetration with it. Whoa! And it's intense. Oh my I've gosh! Wow! And that was the only time I'd ever done double penetration because I've never been with two guys, and I'm in a committed relationship, and I'll never plan to do that. So it was a way to experience that with one person, and it was amazing. Was it? Yeah, it really was. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it was. I was. Did your partner enjoy it too? Yeah, I mean, he just. I mean, he. I think he enjoyed that. You were enjoying it. Yeah, and it was so different and kinky and kind of weird. Yeah, but um, yeah, it was really fun. Oh wow! I know, right? Perfect fit. The perfect Perfect fit. fit. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah. I haven't heard of that one. So if you've never, I don't know, like how much you are an anal player or not. I but, like it occasionally. Like yeah. those are the kinds of things that are just I like to have like those adventures every once in a while. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I'm not up for it all the time, mm-hmm. especially like I don't like surprise anal. Yeah, you know? I don't know if anybody really does. You think? Like <laughs> just the surprise. You gotta be a little ready yeah. for that yeah. one. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean if you ever like, you know, I would I would recommend trying it. Yeah. Oh, I'm very intrigued. That's so interesting. Awesome, I have to say. So I'm curious about the rope bondage stuff. Mm. So what is like if somebody's never really done that kind mm-hmm. of play? What is a first thing? God, they have so many like um, really easy, uh, you know, simple bondage uh, things that are that are good for first timers. They have something called a I think it's called sport sheets, um, and they're um, bands that you know attach to your wrist. It's not rope, but it's um, I think they're cuffs. And they actually go like I think you can attach them underneath your mattress. Mm. So basically, you can tie somebody like to a bed without needing bedposts or a headboard or anything like that. It actually goes underneath the mattress. Oh, okay. So it'll work for anything. There's also um, one that I actually just used for my twisty shoot a couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago, and it's a cross um, uh, bondage thing that goes over your door. 
So like it's a it's a cross and you can put somebody up in a cross and the other side like hooks to the back of the door so that you're suspended wow. there. And same thing, it's got like Velcro handcuffs. So like if you want to get out, you can. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you don't feel like trapped if you panic or something like that. Because bondage mm-hmm. can be scary for some people. Yeah, it sounds a little scary. Like the being tied up that way sounds mm-hmm. a little scary to yeah. me. So um, I would recommend that, you know, if it's your first time, get something that, you know, has like Velcro cuffs that you, you know, it's still secure, but if you really wanted to get out of it, you totally could. Yeah. Um, or, you know, they have really nice uh, just wrist cuffs with like nice that are leather that have nice like soft padding on the inside mm-hmm. that are just, you know, you can just attach with a clip. Same thing. You're not really bound. Yeah. Um, you could, again, easily get out of it, but you can play with the idea Yeah. as well. And also, too, just like sensory deprivation stuff's really fun. You know, like tying, even just like, you know, using a handkerchief and tying your partner's hands together and then maybe blindfolding them and then just, you know, kind of playing with them. That's always. Yeah, like the stealthy sex. Like the, Mm -hmm. even when you have to be really quiet, Mm -hmm. sometimes can be. Yeah. Really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so that's fun. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're just starting, there's so many different, I mean, one of the, one of my favorite things to do is look through a stockroom catalog. (laughs) <laughs> because like they have the craziest stuff in there yeah. like some of those like S&M contraptions one of my favorite ones is the ball gag and it's literally a ball gag so basically it's like this jock strap that goes around the guy's crotch and then like you're like his like somehow it attaches like his balls go in your mouth and then like you're basically like attached to it Whoa. like you're like tied to his crotch and his like balls oh are gosh. in your mouth yeah so it's like a ball gag Oh my goodness! And then there's another one that's like a toilet, and you like are underneath it, like your face goes. A under. Toilet? Yeah, I just saw some weird. documentary where there is this. I can't remember who it is. There's some guy who. Oh gosh, I can't remember the crime, but anyway, he had a poop fetish thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Scat where? Fetish. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't heard about that before. Oh no! Yeah. Oh, I've gotten. I've gotten. There's. <laughs> So there's a guy mm-hmm. who is really into it, and he has emailed me a couple of times. And he's emailed me, he's emailed actually a bunch of other girls in the industry as well. And it's always the same thing. And he wants to, uh, he wants you to meet him at a hotel. And all he wants you to do is to <laughs> drop off your toilet treats, is what he calls them, in the toilet, or your scat caviar. That's what he also scat calls it. Scat caviar. Scat caviar. And uh, then he will pay you, and then you can leave so that he can enjoy um, your poop all by himself. Eating it? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's really weird. That's so interesting. And disgusting. I mean, look, I'm all for, like, people doing what they want to do, but that's straight up, like, not healthy. I can't imagine it would be. That is not good for you. And how do you realize you have this fetish, too? I mean, yeah. it doesn't seem like one that would— I know. I mean, did maybe it— you experienced it because a partner was into it. I just don't think that that's an, a thought that would come up for a lot of people. Is like you go in the toilet and you're like, yeah. "That looks delicious." I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, people have all kinds of weird. I mean, I don't know if you ever watched that show called like Taboo or something like that, and mm. like people like eat rocks. And there was one girl who was addicted to um, eating Vicks Vapor Rub, and I mean, people wow. develop and a lot of times fetishes. Um, come in because you experienced something like an adolescence. You know, it's something triggered you when you're at that cusp of, you know, when you're just in, discovering your sexuality. Yeah. And so maybe somebody has an experience with. And somehow else. arousal was mixed into it. Like, somehow, yeah. yeah. 
That's yeah. what I love kind of about my job, and I would imagine that you love about your job is how incredibly diverse and multifaceted human sexuality is. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, how, what are the, some of the most like interesting things that you feel that you've learned on your journey about human sexuality? Oh, gosh, I am always learning. I think one of the coolest things that I've learned is how we are so unique as individuals, mm-hmm. but that gender-wise, we're actually not that we're not that different. Mm. You know, like as far as so much of the, we're more alike than we are different, I think, as far as sexuality goes. Obviously, our our mechanics are different and things like that. But so much of what we learn is societal. Right. And what's cool is we can decide whether we want to go with that Mm -hmm. or not. Mm -hmm. So that's been really cool. It's it's just to know that you can, because I've spoken to people who have been, I mean, sex trafficked, like the worst things you can think of. Mm And to see them in this really positive place, mm-hmm. just to know that wherever you are, yeah, it can get really awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. How? So you mean like how you know men and women have similar sexual drives and desires, but you know we women's are quashed more because it's considered very not much so. To be yeah, yeah. We have so many more. I call them girl boner buzz kills in the book. And <laughs> I, I like that. I like that. <laughs> and you know, because I I often say what makes when women rise. Mm-hmm. Our girl boners rise. You know what yes, I mean? It's like I love that. It, it, it's when we uh, when we are respected and when mm-hmm. we get to have these full lives because mm-hmm. it's amazing what happens when we embrace our sexuality. You know, healing from the eating disorder, of course, was a huge, huge blessing, and that's one of them. But all the other ways mm-hmm. of life, how I was able to find my my literal voice, mm-hmm. my voice got louder. Mm-hmm. Like my singing voice, mm-hmm. I I sing just for fun and. I went from having this very soft singing voice to this very bold, and it wasn't intentional. Like, wow. just everything comes out in color, and you know, yeah. and and sexual empowerment to me. Whenever I talk about that, I always feel like I want to make sure people realize I'm not saying it's about having as much sex as possible or right. desiring sex constantly. Because yes. I also think it's important that we realize that guys are also hurt by these messages, and they they feel like they have to be these constantly hard superheroes in the bedroom mm-hmm. or something. Yes. Like they're not macho if they don't want right. sex all the time. Right, right, right. So I think it goes in both directions and just going, what do you want your sex life to be? Because right. I think it's self-fulfilling in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, man, I just had a train. I just had a question and I lost my train of thought because I was listening too closely to you. Um, I was going to say, though, relating earlier to how you were saying, um, you know, about the difference between men and women, one of the things that I loved, um, I don't know if you know who Christopher Ryan is. He wrote Sex at Dawn. Oh, um, okay. So I had him on my podcast, and he said that he gets a lot of questions from guys like, you know, how do I, like, score with a girl or how do I, like, make a girl, like, like me or, like, sex, something like that. And he was like, if you, he's like, the best thing that you can do is make like a woman feel good about herself. If you make a woman feel good about herself and you make her feel beautiful and you make her feel sexy, like, like all of that other stuff will come. Like the sexual experience will be better because, like, you know, if you just need to make the woman feel powerful and feel sexy, and then like all of those other things will fall into place, you know, as opposed to, you know, the idea of like, oh, well, you know, you got to ignore them and then make them feel like, Uh, you know, they, the nagging thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you got to be this big macho guy or whatever. So I really loved that message. I thought that that was important because it's it's true, you know. Like I, I feel like a lot of times our sexuality is really pushed down, and you know we are shamed for it. So you know, being with somebody who really appreciates you for who you are and, and wants to embrace your sexuality and wants to 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 bring you up so that you can 
like open up that way, I think is so yeah, important. I think so too. And being really genuine, of course, about it, yeah. you know, so that it's not a strategy like those weird nagging things where you're mm-hmm. like, let me see how powerful I can make her feel by saying something I found on the internet, you know, like yeah. actually like really looking and being, what do you act? Because I think a lot of times when guys are asking how to turn a woman on or how mm-hmm. can I make her want sex, a lot of times, you know, what they're really asking is, how do I connect more deeply with this yes, person? Yes. And that, if you focus there, like, oh, I can actually, because guys are also still somewhat taught that they shouldn't be too emotional or vulnerable. Right. You know, like if you Absolutely. start going deeper emotionally, mm-hmm. it's it's really powerful. It can happen. And yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I had, um, you know, an experience like with my boyfriend, you know, he's a very like macho dude. <laughs> And, um, you know, we had this discussion once where, you know, finally after a time, because he always, he's very much, he's very much steady like a rock. Like he's just like, he doesn't have mood swings. He's always like, <laughs> like he's like, thank God, because I'm a fucking nutcase. He's a normie. Yeah, he's normie. <laughs> he's always like the same. Like he's, he's doesn't usually get in a shitty mood. He's always like, he's just very steady. Um, and I uh, totally fucking forgot where I was going with that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So sorry. Um, and so we had this discussion once where finally, like, he did open up and, like, he became very vulnerable. And that, like, attracted me to him so much more because I was like, now I'm getting to know, like, your authentic self. And yeah. that feels so much better for me. And, and before him, I was dating somebody who, you know, like, if, okay, I'll just put it this way. If I saw him on Twinder, Twinder, <laughs> Tinder, <laughs> I would not have swiped. Right. You swipe right if you like them, right? I think so. Yeah, I haven't been on Tinder in a while. I forgot. Yeah. I think you swipe right. I would not have swiped right. But I met him in a different capacity, and it was his self confidence that entered me, and honestly, his authenticity. Mm. He was the only, he was like absolutely who he was. Mm. And I loved that. You know, like he would make jokes. He's like, I'm not really a man. I don't know how to fix shit. Like he would just, but he just, he was so authentically who he was. I loved that. Mm. Like for me, what is, I'm so attracted to. Whatever your personality is, you might be fucking difficult. You might be a diva. You might be kind of a bitch. You might be whatever. But if you are just exactly who you are and you're honest about who you are and you're not ashamed of who you are, I love that. Yeah. Like across all boards because that takes a lot of courage. I agree. I agree. And I don't think you can fake it. No. It, you just know it yeah. when somebody's got that and yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. Because even, you know, some girls, they go out there and they get like tons of plastic surgery, but they like own up to it. And I'm like, you know what, girl? If that fucking makes you happy and like, go for it. Like, good for you. Absolutely. Yeah. If Absolutely. you feel beautiful that way, fine. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I so agree. How do you feel about plastic surgery? Do you feel like there's a lot of, there's like a little bit too much of it going on these days? You know, it's, it's a tough thing for me when I think about it because I'm torn between wanting people to embrace themselves mm-hmm. as they are mm-hmm. and wanting people to have the freedom to do whatever they want right. they want with their bodies right. and their appearances. I think that's so important. Yeah. So I do think that it is our choice, mm-hmm. whatever we want to do. I, I'm totally not against it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm for it if it is a decision you have put thought into mm-hmm. and it feels right to you. Right. I have a section in my book on empowered beauty decisions mm-hmm. because I think that we can't talk about women's sexuality without talking about what we are kind of taught is beautiful and sexy. Mm-hmm. And so things like, you know, makeup and high heels and I I gave up high heels and did this kind of 
campaign not to convince other people to give them up, but for myself because it was challenging for me. I was like, why? I couldn't imagine. I hate heels so much. Oh my gosh. Now I do. But (laughs) oh man, I thought. I thought I needed to wear them for the longest time. Really? Yeah. yeah. And and when Cannes Film Festival turned women away for wearing flats, I don't know if you heard about that. No, I didn't. Yeah. And I oh, got really? so pissed off. I was like, oh my God. And then I thought they were so brave, the yeah. women. And I thought, wait, why do I think they're brave for wearing comfortable shoes? Yeah. So like having those questions yeah. and going like, okay, do you want to have this surgery? Do you want to have these butt implants because it makes you feel more connected to yourself? You love how it could make you feel, but you're not trying to fix something that's not broken and you're mm. not trying to, it's not something else told you to do it. Right. You know what I mean? Yes, I, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I think that that unfortunately probably happens to us a lot. It does, it does. And I think it can go too far where it becomes an addiction for some people. Oh God, I've you definitely know? seen it. Yeah, that's so sad. And yeah. I, I hate that people shame that though. Mm-hmm. It's like, why can't we have compassion for a person who mm-hmm. feels that much pressure mm-hmm. to change every single cell on their body instead yes. of being like, oh, my God, they're so plastic. And yes. I think that's another form of slut-shaming, really. Yeah, no, I agree. I honestly, like, you know, there's a, a huge part of me that is is glad. Because when I was young, I wanted to be a model. And um, my mom talked me out of it. Also, I didn't have what it took. But, um, you know, I, I I feel like I'm glad that I didn't, Get end up in an industry where so much pressure was put on the way that you look because it's yeah. this transient quality that leaves all of us. And so when the looks leave you, like what are you left with? You know, and um, and actually one thing that I really admired about my mom is you know she was a model and she was beautiful. You know, and she like men loved her and she's never ever had Botox anything like that. And she just she just didn't give a shit. You know, yeah. she just aged and she is who she is and she just. Never, it's like she never cared really about how she looked. That's and so amazing. I know it's amazing, and I'm like, fuck, man, I wish I could be like. It's such that. an anomaly. Yeah. I know because <laughs> I can't. I, she actually always makes a joke. She's like, well, the best thing about getting old is that you can't really see your reflection in the mirror because your eyesight's going. <laughs> she has a good sense of humor about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah it's so interesting. I, I wish that we were taught that aging is beautiful. I know. Because I know there are cultures that do I that. I know, I think about that. Yeah, I'm like, you, I'll move to France when I'm 70. Because I know, right? You think about think those I'm cultures pretty- that like, you know, like uh, that respect the elders and like to get to that point in your life where you're that old and you've lived yes. that long is something that like people really respect and admire. Yeah. And it's commendable, but now it's like, and I feel like especially with women, you know, like aging is such like this dirty thing and like men can age, you know, and, and like Harrison Ford looks hot, but- Distinguished, but yeah. they aren't different. But like, like Nicole look, Kidman has to freeze her face in order to, you know, keep getting get a work. job. Yeah, yeah, it's so sad. And if you put a picture of a same age, you know, man mm-hmm. and woman next to each other at that same age, yeah. we can't help but feel a little bit, you know, at least for me, I, I shouldn't speak for everyone. I've had to work proactively to see beauty mm-hmm. in like wrinkled faces of women. Yes. And I hate that, yes. but I prioritize it because I know that if I don't and if I don't see beauty there, then it's not providing a good example. Like we right. can all be a role model just by, you know, whether we, however we want to age, it's mm-hmm. fine. Do Botox injections, don't do them, dye your hair, don't dye your hair, whatever it is. Yeah. But I really think that we have to be questioning those things. Yes. It's another kind of societal brainwashing almost. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I say this and I make a joke about it all the time, but it's true. It's like, you know, as men age, they grow more distinguished and women just get old. Yeah. You know? How sad is that? Yeah, it really is. I hear from so many women who tell me they've started feeling invisible at a certain age. Oh, I do. 
Do you? Oh, yeah. Like, it was funny. I actually remember, like, I actually, it occurred to me the other day that, like, I never get hit on, like, on the streets or anything like that in the store. That used to happen to me, like, a lot. Yeah. And it never it happens to me Was anymore. it a certain point? I think, I don't know. I think I just realized, just like, gradually. recently, I was just like, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe people are intimidated, though. I mean, I do think sometimes mm, I it's that. like, I don't know, it, I, I'm hoping that maybe there's a good part of me having so much body dysmorphia is that I don't, like I kind of was aware when guys would be doing that, uh-huh. but not as much as I could have, you know what yeah. I mean? Which yeah. sounds really snotty what I just said, but I don't mean it that way. Like yeah. when other people would say to me, is it weird that people are staring at you all the time or something? Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm like thinking I'm gawky and this yeah. and that. And so, because a few people have said to me, you know, growing up and when I first started modeling and stuff, I heard someone say to my mom when they didn't know I could hear, oh, I'm so sorry that you have a daughter who's so pretty. Like, <sighs> like that's going to be so hard. And people have said, oh, aging's going to be so hard for you. Oh, God. And I'm like, well, yeah, if I put all my value there. Right, you know? right. Yeah, no, absolutely. <clears throat> Um, yeah, that's definitely something that like, you know, I've been struggling with as I get older. Cause I'm like, okay, like, you know, this is, this is happening. We are getting older and I'm going to be 40 yeah. in September and I'm going to be 40 this year too. Ah, yay. yay. 40 club. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did you freak out when you turned 30? I did. I didn't, but I think I felt younger at 30 then cause I had so many dark times in my early twenties. Mm. Yes. I hear. I had a yeah. very vague decade in my twenties. I don't oh, remember a lot of my Bizarro, 20s. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I was good with 30, 35 ish, 35, 36. I started to feel a little bit like this weird feeling mm. of Am I going far enough or like not going far enough, but I just felt like is my effort actually moving? I started to feel stagnant or something. Mm. I started to get in a kind of a weird, like I I don't know why that pressure was on me. I just had a weird thing. But now I kind of like the new decades. Like you get to be fresh in a new decade. Like Mm -hmm. we're the babies of the, (laughs) yeah, we're the babiest 40s. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? But I'm a young 40. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. But I also feel like being invisible or feeling like we're invisible could be a really superpower thing too Mm -hmm. because there have been times when you know I have like full makeup on or lashes or whatever or dressed up mm-hmm. and maybe you don't want all that attention yeah. you know what I mean and to be able to just be like eh, yeah f you all like who cares like yeah. I'm just gonna go in and do yeah. my thing and no one's gonna bug me so yeah. it's weird actually I don't know what I'm complaining about because I, I I hate that because I've had situations where that like that where I'm going to an event or something like that and I'm like fully made up and I like go into a 7-eleven to yeah. get a sprite or something and everyone's staring at me and I'm like I don't like this and I'm like wait a minute I don't actually like being stared at all the time so I wonder if it's kind of the just that weird sort of perceiving like we're being valued less because I think that's what we're taught through that. I think so, yeah. Yeah. No, actually that makes sense because you know so much value is being placed on the way a woman looks. And the funny thing is for me like the struggle for me is that you know I work in an industry where I perpetuate that fantasy. Mm. You know, I perpetuate like that young, beautiful, like perfect. I mean, you know, I I do glamour stuff and yeah. I retouch pictures so girls look like they're perfect, you yeah, know? So yeah. like I'm kind of part of the problem. Like I sort of recognize that. Mm. And then like growing older in that environment where I'm constantly surrounded by like 18-year-olds, I'm like, yeah, okay. Is that challenge? Do you think that's challenging I for think you? so, yeah. totally. I think yeah. if I worked in a different environment where I was surrounded with, by people like my age or older that I would feel different about myself, yeah. I think for sure. I have to say when I started writing, it was so freeing because I was working with people who didn't know what I looked like mm. and it was so cool. Yeah. They didn't know my gender even because August is traditionally a guy's name mm-hmm. and some of my reviews of my thriller, people would call me a he. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, which probably worked to my benefit because yeah. you know, people judge people differently. Yes. But yeah, it's so interesting. Just 
to be able to feel a little bit invisible. Yeah. And then I started going into the studio after like living in yoga pants and like my hair is always sticking up. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, oh man, I don't want to think about what I look like again. Like, why is everyone taking on cameras? And now we have more photos taken than ever. Yes. Ever. I know. And I've one thing that helps me is just to go, oh, this is who I am and what I look like. Which sounds so stupid, but I'll just look in the mirror when I feel really, because we all have days where we feel yes. completely ugly yes. and days where we kind of feel like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of hot. Yes. And I'll just go, you know what? This is, That's what you look like. So why are you worried about, yeah. like, you don't change that. You just go be that person. Yes. And, and then I remind myself, like, okay, so my audiences that I want to get empowered, I want them to feel better about themselves. Mm-hmm. If I actually have crinkles or if I look a little like I didn't sleep last night, and I'm out there being me, mm-hmm. that's actually probably helpful. Yeah. 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 No, I totally agree. Um, I uh, also, fuck, I keep losing my train of thought today. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, I haven't had a lot of sleep in the last couple of days. Oh, that, that will do it, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, no, I was, it was going on about the um, women and the way that they look and. Something very profound. This is who. This is what I look this like. Is what I look like, and I have something good to say, and I totally fucking forgot it. it. <laughs> Ernie, what was I thinking? <laughs> How do you feel about having your own photo taken? I, I, you know what? I've always hated posing for photos, which is so funny because people are like. But even when I was modeling, I didn't like posing for mm-hmm. photos because you know it's not actually posing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I always felt so like I don't know if it's because then I was like, no, then I have to be totally me, mm-hmm. or it felt less authentic because nobody ever does that. Nobody ever walks around like in that weird sort of posy way. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I've always felt weird about that. Yeah, I um I don't know. It's funny. I always think I look better in pictures than I do. Like I'll be like posing and I'll be like I look great. And you look, I'll look awesome at the photo in and I'm like mm, not so much. I think you're super photogenic actually. Thank you. I really it do. De- and thank you. Pretty too. Oh, shucks. oh my gosh, now I remember what I was going to say. Mm. Okay, fuck. <laughs> so, um what I was going to say was like about focusing on flaws and stuff like that, which is what I think we tend to do. We tend to pick up one thing in our face or our body and we focus, we hyper focus on that thing. Like for me, it's like my weak chin, like I hate it. But um, I remember I was, I was, I went to a, a meeting and I was watching a woman speak and she was a beautiful woman and she had like kind of the same thing as me, this like kind of like weak jawline. And I remember looking at it and recognizing her weak jawline and still thinking that she was beautiful uh-huh. because I loved the message that she had and she had this incredible spirit around her. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is a beautiful woman. And like, I don't really care that she's sort of a double chin. Like to me, that doesn't detract from her beauty. I'm like, why can't I look at myself that way? Yeah. You know, like I saw that one flaw in her that I hate in myself, mm-hmm. but like I was able to forgive it in her. Why can't I forgive that in myself? Isn't that powerful? Yeah. Because as you were saying that, I was like, what is she even talking about? Like, I don't even see. But when we see it, that's oh, all we see. That's so all we I see. see photos of myself. I had headshots taken after like years Mm -hmm. of having no professional Mm -hmm. photos. And it was kind of horrifying when you first look. And I had to really challenge myself and be like, that's what you look like. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd forgotten that even when I was 20 and 25, I still felt that way when yeah. I saw the untouched photos. Because yeah. I started modeling when they weren't retouching. Yes. You know, like, yeah. or they barely did any. Like, yeah. they actually, the filters were those, like, plastic filters. Like, yes. <laughs> stuck on the front of the thing. So, and then digital came out, and, like, you're seeing it right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's trippy. Yeah. It's trippy. It's scary, too, I think, the way that digital has, you know, the way people manipulate 
photos and girls' pictures. I mean, you've seen those like those leaked like before and afters, you know, of the model where they like make her waist like this big and you know, just like these impossible I know like measurements. I can't imagine. Like you couldn't compare yourself to yourself. Yeah, I know. uh, And to feel like you show up at a party and everyone saw your photos, they go, Oh, yeah, that's 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 what you really look like. What she looks like. Yeah, and then like what I was saying too about the part of me that I recognize is like so ridiculous is that you know like I said you know these girls will come in, um, they'll go through you know two hours of hair and makeup and I'll light them perfectly and I'll dress them perfectly and then we'll retouch all those pictures and I will look at these photos and intellectually I know that she doesn't really look like that like I put a lot of work to make her look that way but like there's this lizard part of my brain that still thinks like. You should look that way. Uh, you should look that way, even though I know that that girl doesn't actually look that way. Isn't that so crazy? It's crazy. That is so nuts. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually feel really weird sharing my new headshot, even though, because it feels too perfect to me. Mm-hmm. I didn't, when the photographer asked me about retouching, mm-hmm. I said, I, please don't take away the lines on my face. Mm-hmm. I don't want those to go away, mm-hmm. like intellectually. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Intellectually, I didn't want them to go away. <laughs> right. um, but you know, just he. So he just instead like brightened the photo or mm-hmm. whatever. But I had like professional makeup, mm-hmm. and I never freaking look like that. Yeah. And but it's supposed to be my headshot, and mm-hmm. so backward from what I used to feel, where I wanted every picture of me to be so perfect, and mm-hmm. now I feel like there's like a disingenuous thing. Yes. Like how I want it to look just like me, but I also don't. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Girl, I, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Just struggle, but it's good, you know. I mean, we we recognize these struggles, yeah, and yeah. we're working to overcome it, and we're talking about it, you yeah. know. And other girls, I'm, you know, I think this is something that's across the board with like almost every yeah. girl, at least especially in this country. Oh, totally, know? it's universal. And yeah. for me, the thing that helps the most is focusing on something I really care about. Yeah, because I don't actually really care about that. It's just yeah. I can let myself get into that tunnel. Yes. And instead, if I'm working on girl boner stuff, I'm so like intoxicated mm-hmm. by the like this process with the book coming out has been really exciting and it's a lot of work and it's challenging too, but I get so into that that there have been days and this is one reason I knew I was really really healing or healed or however you look at it was that <laughs> I went to one like video podcast once and I only had mascara on one eye. <laughs> like that's it. And with blonde hair, you know, you uh-huh. it just looked so ridiculous. Yeah. But I was actually kind of happy with myself cuz I was like, wow. That takes a that's a lot of growth because yeah. there was a time I would have fixated and taken all this time like sweating to figure out an outfit and I'm just mm-hmm. like this is who I am and that's not what matters to me. Yeah. 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 And that's like the best thing. It is. Yeah. yeah, it totally is. Thank you so much for coming on August. Ah, it was so good to see you. So tell us me. a little bit um where is this book out now or is it coming out? It releases on August 7th. Oh. Yeah, so it's available for pre-order okay. on Amazon and also Barnes and Noble and Target.com. And I also have another companion book that's coming out with mm-hmm. it called Girl Boner Journal. It's okay. a guided self-awareness book that goes along the same arc. Mm-hmm. And I have this is the new cover, mm-hmm. the old cover which I love, and I'm going to probably like frame it to. Um, whoops. Yeah. I'm probably going to frame a big one of this because I love it. But mm-hmm. the booksellers liked this one, so. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody pre-orders it and uh, sends me their uh, proof of purchase mm-hmm. to August at augustmclaughlin.com, I will send them as I have a few of these left uh, a sampler. Yay! Yeah, so it has like five chapters and it's fun. Awesome, and we are also actually going to be giving this away to um, some of my Patreon members as well. Awesome. Um, signed by August, so this is going to be great. 
Yeah. I love this. I'm going to read this first, though, before I give this away. Awesome. And it's uh, uncorrected proof, so it does not have typos and stuff, which makes it (laughs) a little more rare, I guess. Yeah, a little more authentic. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Speaking of our flaws. I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. So where can everybody find you online? AugustMcLaughlin.com or GirlBoner.org. And my podcast, Girl Boner Radio, is on all the iTunes, Apple Podcasts iHeartRadio. And it's a fantastic, fantastic podcast. Thank you. They should listen to our episodes. Yes. See if definitely. they notice the part where I took out the grunting. Yeah. I, I'm <laughs> going to have to actually go back and fight because I don't remember that happening. But I don't know. Maybe like the sound of moaning in the background is so like familiar to me that I just, I mean, I've it. taken naps through sex scenes before. <laughs> like, I'm not joking. Like, it's funny because I've talked to other people yeah. like who've worked on sex, on, you know, porn sets for a long time. And when you're working on these long movies that are like, you know, 15, 18 hours or whatever, and you know the sex scene might be going on. And I was a photographer at the time for this movie, and you know sex scene going on. And I'm able to sleep on a couch in the same room through the whole fucking thing, like oh no gosh. problem. Like it almost lulls me to sleep. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. Yeah, You're like oh, it's just the normal thing. Yeah, and totally. I was all like, oh no, it's like my white noise. <laughs> yeah, I just that's like what you should put mouth. to sleep to is moaning. <laughs> I should make a white noise machine specifically for people who have like an anal setting and then like the DP gangbang setting, masturbation setting. Some people will sleep to it and others will do the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. And guys, make sure that you go and get her book and that you make sure that you listen to her amazing podcast. And you can find me at Holly Randall on Instagram and Twitter. And if you like this podcast, please support me at patreon.com slash Holly Randall Unfiltered. I would appreciate it so much. I cannot do this podcast without you guys, so your support is super, super important. So thank you. I love you guys all, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. It was such a pleasure to have such a beautiful soul here in the studio. I love having August here. I love talking to her about her sex positive message. I thought it was really interesting the way that we talked about the pressures on women and their appearance and aging these days. I think that we very much connected on that level. So it was a real pleasure to have her here. I hope that you guys enjoyed hearing from her as much as I did. Thank you so much, August, for coming on. Next week on the podcast, you do not want to miss a very special guest. I have legendary Nina Hartley in the studio. Anybody who knows anything about porn knows that Nina is the queen of kink. She's been in the industry for a long time. She's seen all the ups and the downs. She's an incredibly smart woman who I have also known for a long time. So make sure that you come back next week for Nina Hartley on Holly Randall Unfiltered. <laughs>